Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Tonight's show, Genealogy Roadshow and More, is just that. And we will discuss an array of topics on this show with my special guest, Mary Tedesco. Mary Tedesco is a professional genealogist speaker and author. She is featured on the PBS TV series Genealogy Roadshow and is the founder of Origins Italy, a firm specializing in Italian and Italian-American genealogical and family history research. Mary is the co-author of Tracing Your Italian Ancestors, an 84-page Italian research guide published by Moore's Head Magazines. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Boston University and a Certificate in Genealogical Research from Boston University's Center for Professional Education. So let me give a warm welcome to Mary Tedesco, to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, Mary. Hey, Bernice. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I am just doing fine, and I'm so glad that you're on and that some of the technical issues have been resolved. Wow. Me too. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, we go through. So, well, Mary, let's your kind of... Team. <laughs> kudos, all right. Well, Mary, <laughs> let's... Uh, Let's kind of start at your beginning with genealogy. And tell us just when did you you get this urge to start tracing roots or to start working with people on genealogical research? So, Bernice, you want to know when the bug actually bit me, right? Absolutely. When did that <laughs> bug bite? 
Well, um, I was working in the financial industry just about 10 years ago, and a coworker introduced me to a beautiful thing called genealogy. He said that I would be able to search for my immigrant grandparents' uh, passenger list, and uh, they came from Italy, of course, as you mentioned in the bio. So I, I searched for their list, and I found them, and I printed them out, and I brought them back to my grandparents, and I said, this is you guys, right? And they said, of course it is. And from there, Bernice, the spark just kind of overtook me. I wanted to know uh, more about my Italian side of the family, my dad's side, and also my mother's deep American roots uh, in 16 states. So I just kind of took off from there, Bernice. That's so exciting, though. I mean, to just find that information and then it just kind kind of hits you that this is what you want to do. So when did you make the decision to uh, to obtain uh, additional training or specific training in genealogy? That's a great question, Bernice. It happened, I would say, almost immediately. Because, of course, when you start doing genealogical research, you see how much more you need to improve as a genealogist. So I sought out kind of early education in the form of books to read about genealogy. And then around about 2010, I discovered that there were a lot of other people that were doing genealogy and there were conferences and uh, genealogical societies. So my first entree, Bernice, into, um, you know, historical society, genealogical society was at New England Historic Genealogical Society, which is a, a great one to start with, right? Yes, so it went- is. <laughs> They're wonderful there. So I went into NEHGS, and it was like an entire other world opened up for me. Uh, from there, I started ordering microfilms uh, from the Family History Library. I viewed them at uh, NEHGS. I also consulted their just fantastic collections for uh, American research. And it was really, it, it took off from there, and I couldn't stop doing genealogy. It was like this beautiful addiction that all of us uh, are very fond of. Yes, it is something that we talk about this addiction. <laughs> so you ordered microfilm, you you were involved with genealogical society. So give us just an idea. Tell us one specific story or catalyst that really motivated you to start a journey for yourself. Um, I really think for me it was getting family members involved in genealogy too and just seeing the excitement on their faces when we discovered a new ancestor. I have a couple of people uh, at the beginning, of course, there was my grandmother who's no longer with us, but she was a big inspiration at the beginning, a driving force behind it. And from the beginning, I've also had my mom here with me. We got interested in genealogy around about the same time. And we're still motivating each other, and we have somebody to come along on these field trips and conferences sometimes. And it's, it's become a really fun thing to bounce ideas off of somebody and just share those discoveries. Well, you know, it's interesting that you would say your your mom in, involved with you because sometimes when you talk to people, they'll say, oh, I have no family members interested in genealogy. Mm-hmm. And I and that's where we go to conferences. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It 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 kind it really helps you when you go to a conference because then you don't feel like the kind of long ranger. 
Exactly, Bernice. I think that that's a wonderful point. And that's one of the great things about institutes and conferences. I know you're very involved in speaking in institutes yourself as well. Um, I think it's a wonderful way to not only network with individuals uh, doing uh, same or similar or different kinds of research than us, but it's great to expand our skill set, which is just an amazing thing to becoming a better genealogist, to making new discoveries, uh, both for uh, genealogy that directly affects you, like your own family, and then of other ethnic groups that can help you just expand and broaden yourself, which is very exciting. It is exciting. So just uh, give us an idea of, let's say, what would you consider a challenge uh in research? Oh, that's a great question. I would say every next brick wall that we would come across in our own families, Bernice. Um, a, a challenge is something I would estimate that we haven't maybe acquired the genealogical skills to overcome. And I think you may agree with me on this one because I think with a lot of things, um, if we study hard enough and we pool our friends and just this wonderful brain trust that we have in genealogy, a lot of those brick walls just begin to break down, Bernice. Wouldn't you say that's true? It, it is absolutely true. You know what I do every morning? I have a genie buddy. Every morning we talk about genealogy, and the call always ends with, you know what, I just learned something. Or, you know, you just you know, presented me with another way of looking at this particular issue. And so, you know, you said this these brick walls, I mean, they're out there, though. At least I think they are. But let's talk about, you know, what would you consider uh, a brick wall, a so-called brick wall? Well, I guess uh, a so-called brick wall would be something that uh, you've come across in your research, and it may be an incredibly difficult or challenging problem that maybe a lot of other folks have uh, tried to break through in the past. Maybe they've published it in an article that they're having trouble with it or they've written a blog about it. And um, in some cases, some brick walls, folks have been trying to solve them for maybe over 100 years or maybe even more. Um, that's something that I would really consider a brick wall. And to me, Bernice, those are the kinds of challenges and problems that I really like to go after. I like when a research problem is incredibly difficult and I have to, you know, phone a genie friend, as you were saying, or I have to ask somebody for help or I have to go to, um, you know, a new institute to get an entire new skill set to learn how to solve it. For me, I think that that will make us better genealogists is encountering and tackling difficult problems. Yes, indeed. But sometimes, Mary, I have to say, some of my brick walls just have me going in circles and knocking against a, a wall and another brick wall. Let, let me just give you an example of a, of a brick wall. And you, maybe you can tell me what, what you would recommend. I have this great-great-grandmother, and she has four different surnames. Wow. Now, I have found these surnames on different documents, one in 1940 when she passed away. And my great-grandfather said, this is her last name, Pompeii. That was 1940. In 1920, when her son got married, he said his mother's maiden name was Crofton. 
1918, when one of her daughters passed away, she said her surname was Pompey. But in 1888, when my great-grandfather had a land transaction, in this document he wrote, I have been married to only one woman, and her name was, and her last name was Crofton. So what in the world do you do with something like that? That is a great problem, Bernice. I I really have to hand it to you. Um, I have to confess, I have a similar issue in my own family, except it's a known entity. I actually know why my great-grandmother used different names. In her case, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if it's the same in your case, um, my my great-grandmother in this situation may not apply to you in any sense, so I don't want to imply that it does. Uh, my great-grandmother was actually born out of wedlock, and when she used the other surname, it was the surname of her birth father's family, which was different from her birth name, and she used a different uh-huh. first and last name. So in my situation as well, it appeared as though my great-grandfather was married to two different ladies, like completely different first and completely different last name, but it was actually the same woman, and she was kind of telling us almost who her father was through the change in the name. Now, of course, I'm not sure of all the specifics of your situation. We'd have to talk about it for a, long, a lot more time. But sometimes there's a reason why these variances in these names come up. Maybe that had a significance, um, or, or maybe, maybe it didn't at all. Maybe it was just an error. But sometimes these what considered to be subtle slip-ups actually mean something, but maybe in a different way. So I don't know whether that's the same case uh, in your situation. Of course, we need to talk for a lot longer to get all of the details and all the research that you've done. Um, But in those types of situations, we have to think outside the box as genealogists, which I know that you've done, but sometimes even step away from the problem or or write it up like a research report and hand it off to some of our uh, genealogy friends uh, who are very skilled in a similar type of research that we're looking for and see, can we tackle this brick wall together? Uh, Because we're not alone in genealogy. We have wonderful folks that are extraordinarily smart, sometimes smarter than us, uh, a lot of times actually. And we should tap into these resources. Right. And I'm glad you're saying tap into these resources because the resources are out there. I mean, you see, uh, Facebook has so many different genealogical groups to tap into, even the people on Twitter. And hello, everyone on Twitter, tweeting out that we're having this show tonight. Because we do have opportunities to share what we're doing and also to get feedback as far as uh, what we should be doing. But let me just take it back all the way to the beginning. If you had to work with somebody for the very first time on genealogy, searching for your ancestors, what resources would you recommend to them? So you're saying how how should they get started and what should they start with, right, Bernice? Absolutely. So for somebody, I would say, researching from the United States, I guess we can start with that because, as you know, I do a lot of international research. So we'll say somebody like you and I that was born in the United States and would like to research their family, I would definitely start with the census and vital records. Um, And then you could move on. You know, once you have the fabric of your family tree, then you want to really delve into your family's background. 
And that could mean a lot of records based on your geography. That could mean a local history book or what faith uh, did your family belong to. You know, there could be church records or there could be additional records like land and deeds, uh, things like probate and wills. So first get the skeleton of your family tree, meaning the names and the dates, and then fill in between the dash and see what those lives were really like. I mean, really put a personality onto each one of these folks so that they're not just names on a page. Right, and so many people sometimes they focus just on the, the census, and then they right. miss all of what's happening inside those those 10 years, you know, all of what's going on in that community. Exactly. And the census is a wonderful tool, an essential tool, but we have to remember to branch out. I love uh, to to say document diversity. I mean, we really want to go after a lot of different resources for our ancestors beyond the usual ones, you know, beyond the census, of course, which is important and vital records but really get into the nitty-gritty of who your ancestors were and what they were doing. Paint a picture of their lives. That's right. Paint that picture and also tell that story. Exactly. Because something was going on in that home and that community to tell that story. Exactly. And, I I mean, they, they were human, just like you and I, Bernice. They had interests. They had a favorite color. They had a favorite place to go and hang out. I mean, and all of these may not be rediscoverable, but some of them are, and it's really worth pursuing because we can tell stories and preserve it for generations to come, which is really part of our wonderful and special legacy as people. That's right. Well, you know, you you do international uh, research, as you have mentioned. So tell us about some of your your research in Italy. Of course. Um, so I do specialize in Italian genealogical research, which means I get to take the, the show on the road, as they say, and go overseas and on site to where both my ancestors and my clients' ancestors came from in Italy. So because Italy is such localized research, I really tell people that there are 8,000 ways to do Italian genealogy, one for every single town in Italy. So oftentimes we find ourselves in the churches or in the city halls right near where these events actually happened, uh, gathering up these resources, literally walking in the footsteps of both the ancestors of the, of the ancestors of the clients. And this is an incredibly special and moving experience, Bernice. And really, I, I tell people, you don't have to go overseas to do this. I mean, you can take, you know, an ancestral trip, an ancestral journey back to your hometown in Ohio or New York or, you know, the next town over. That can be an ancestral trip, an ancestral journey that can really change you and change your life forever. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, when you talk about doing uh, research overseas, I can mm-hmm. recall going with, uh, because I, did, I was involved in international work for, for 10 years, and going with a, a group of people to Slovakia, and we went to this little uh, village, uh, to Chanske to Plesce, and I remember going with these individuals to, like, it was like a town hall and opening up these books, and we walked into the graveyard, and it was moving just to observe how they were reacting as they went, kind of 
everyone walked in the footsteps of of their ancestors. And as you said, it's the same thing that you're doing over there. You can do it here in Louisiana. You can do it in Mississippi. But the idea is that you're getting out of the Internet and you're moving your body to be in the place where your ancestors were. Exactly. That is a moving experience. It's a moving experience. It's a a special experience. Whether the records exist any longer or not, we can still take a step back in time and go to a house, or if the house isn't there or the structure where they live, you can go to the land and you can walk around and you really get a sense for what their life would have been like. Um, And we can be grateful, of course, for the many sacrifices they made that resulted in us being here right now and all the wonderful blessings that we have. That's right. Well, we're going to take a very quick break and come back on and talk about some of the challenges you have experienced as a co-host on the Genealogy Roadshow. So this is just a real quick break, and we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Now, you have been listening to Mary Tedesco, and we've just been talking in general about genealogy. But, Mary, let's move on to your other job opportunities, of which you have a chance to showcase, basically, your knowledge of genealogy on the Genealogy Roadshow. So why don't you tell us about your experience as a co-host of the Genealogy Roadshow? Well, Bernice, like I like to tell people it's the coolest part of my job as a genealogist. I consider it a true gift to share my love and passion for genealogy with the folks watching at home, with Americans just like you and I that are watching. And 
to be able to be on a journey of discovery, as we call it, with each guest that you see us sitting across the table from, to be able to share a story with them that they hadn't already known before. I mean, they're finding it out right with you watching at home, Bernice. It's like something inside of them changes almost. You know, they're, they, they look at the world maybe in a different way. I mean, some reactions have been surprise or you know, slight disappointment at times, but it changes a person when you find out that type of information. So it's just, in summary, been a gift. Oh, yes. And tell me, I mean, how do you go about researching problems that you will share on the Genealogy Roadshow? That's a great question, Bernice. So for season three, we received over 10,000 applications. So imagine that, Bernice. It's 10,000 folks just wanting to share their stories with us trusting us with this information and just really wanting to know more. So from there, the producers and our research team sifted through these applications, paring down the number of those that had the potential to make it to air. So finally, we ended up with about 30 to 40 stories, which were selected for this season's episodes on season three. And as I said, Bernice, this decision was incredibly difficult. So after our team had chosen the stories that would eventually go to air, there was a synergy among our research team, the producers, and the PBS team. And basically, Bernice, these folks worked their magic to go in depth with genealogical and historical research to bring these stories to life for each guest sitting across the table, or in some cases, you see us sitting next to the guest if it's a shorter story. It's a real collaborative effort. It's a team effort. There's a expertise being contributed on a number of levels. And later on in the process at the end, um, I receive the story and I thoroughly prepare and insert expertise or additional research and insight uh, to help make this experience pretty amazing for each one of our guests. It's really the magic of television, Bernice. Yes, it is the magic of television. And, you know, it's kind of hard watching to determine just how many people are involved in any particular uh, case that you will present. So give us an idea. You said your team. What makes up your your team for the PBS Genealogy Roadshow? That is a great question. There are approximately 30 people in the team, Bernice, and we have uh, three executive producers. We have a director, an assistant director, two directors of photography. We have camera operators, a glam squad to handle the hair and makeup. And I got to tell you, Bernice, I really miss them as soon as the filming is done. And then we have, <laughs> <Don't you do. laughs> and then we have a post-production team. We have folks that are editing the program to get it ready to air on PBS stations. So, Bernice, that's a lot of people, right? Yes, that is a lot of people. And then who are your researchers? Uh, it's a six-person research team, and the uh, the names of the folks that were on the team during that episode were appear at the credits at the end of every episode. Oh, okay. And so now let's talk about what would make you, uh, what would make your team decide to select a particular research problem 
to take it oh, to that next level, yes. That's an excellent question. So basically the producers and PBS, of course, because it's their program, have final say over which stories will eventually uh, make it to air. And it's a tough decision, Bernice. I mean, we, we try our best to represent each um, city based on the applications that we receive in both uh, making sure it's diverse and it makes sense and it ties in with the history of each and every city, of course, again, dependent on the applications that we receive. And it's really amazing the stories that people have come to us with and the amazing diversity that we've found in each and every city in America. To me, that's one of my favorite parts. I just love it. I love learning about other folks um, from different backgrounds and cultures than myself. And it's a great learning experience in history of the United States. Yes, so you have a whole team, and they're selecting a case that they're going to do more research on. And then when do the, the participants find out that they've been selected? Um, they find out definitely before the show because they, they find out that they've been selected and they're invited at a specific time to come down to the show and to film. So they might hear about it uh, anywhere from a week, uh, a couple of weeks before to uh, a month before, perhaps. It really depends on the story and how entailed that particular research is, whether it's um, a table story, as we call the more in-depth stories, or it's one of the side stories that might only make it to air for 30 seconds. So that really depends uh, when they hear and when we're able to, um, you know, prepare the read for them and the decision is made to have them on the air. Oh, okay. And then once they're on the air, it's kind of they don't know exactly what angle you're taking or do they have an idea of where you're going to go with, with their particular story? Well, once uh, once they're there, we – they, of course, know what results that we've found because we present that to them. And then after that, really, it's up to the, the magic of television, the editors, to put together a, a brilliant story and weave it together in a way that would make sense for the television audience watching at home. Oh, yes, you're right. Because I, I noticed that some of your shows will give some historical uh, – you'll have some kind of footage or something, newspaper or article that would – help people understand the, where you're going with the story or what events occurred during a particular uh, case uh, in their lives, what happened. So it's it's really interesting just to watch, you know, you, yeah, I guess, do this magic for folks. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to be part of the process, and it, it makes me incredibly proud that we're able to deliver a show that I'm proud to be a part of, and I know that the folks at PBS also are, and the, the entire team. It's a really fun show to work on. It's like being part of a family. And it, it's really, we call each other my Genealogy Roadshow family because that's what it feels like and the camaraderie that uh, we encounter in every city when we see the team again and we're reunited. It's just very exciting. Right. Well, is there a Genealogy Roadshow fan club? Well, if you would like to start one, Bernice, I think the president is open. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something to think about. That's something to think about. So are we going to see a season four? 
That's a great question. So PBS, uh, we're awaiting their word uh, regarding future seasons of Genealogy Roadshow, so stay tuned. Well, I know that you had a, a, there was an application, casting application. Just how much information should individuals put on that, those applications? That's a great question, Bernice. So we're definitely suggesting that folks, if they have an amazing story to tell us, please apply at genealogyroadshow.org. And what I recommend that people do is be clear and concise, but provide good amount of detail with your application. You can include more than one question if you like, if you have maybe five burning questions about your family history, but be specific about the information that you're giving us. I mean, you know, tangents are great for conversation, but not necessarily in an application. So keep it concise and clear. And if we need additional information down the line, we'll definitely reach out and contact you for that. Right. Okay. So everyone, if you're interested in being a part of the Genealogy Roadshow, you want to be concise, you know, state exactly what you're hoping to, uh, hoping that they will research, and and we'll see where that takes you. Well, let's move on from the genealogy roadshow to just talking about your thoughts about DNA. Tell us about your thoughts about DNA testing and and how you are. Perhaps you've advised some of your clients to integrate DNA into their personal research journey. Well, I think DNA is an extremely powerful tool, and I think it will, as time goes on, play a more and more crucial role in our careers and in our work as genealogists. I think it's very exciting. I'm a math person, as you may know, and the more and more data we have in these databases, Bernice, for DNA, the better the results are going to get, the better the matches we'll get, the more we'll be able to do with genetic genealogy. So, I'm excited about the future of genetic genealogy, and we have a lot of brilliant folks at various companies working to make the tools better and better for interpretation and matching, et cetera. I think the horizon is really exciting for DNA. Oh, yes, indeed. And it's, you know, it's so exciting to just see the number of people getting involved in DNA research. And I also wonder, I mean, what do people do with those test results? Do they really understand the types of tests they've taken? And then are they able to make sense out of those tests when it comes to trying to connect those relatives that they may they may get? You know, maybe thousands of relatives. And just how challenging could that be for people to connect the dots and figure out, well, what relative belongs to this chromosome here? Yeah, I think for folks just starting out, maybe it's their first exposure to a DNA test, I think it may be incredibly overwhelming to find that you have 95 pages of matches, which to you know, genealogists that have been around the block a few years, they're, they're very excited. I'm excited when I see all those matches, but to folks maybe that have just taken the test, it may be a little overwhelming. So I encourage those folks to definitely seek out educational resources, uh, books, et cetera. There are two wonderful books that have been published recently about DNA. I encourage folks to pick those up and to start working through the workbooks and getting more educated, basically, because things can be overwhelming, but then if you attended like a webinar on DNA 
or a couple of seminars as part of a conference, really it begins to become clearer and clearer uh, what those matches mean and what the breakdowns mean. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, attend webinars, participate in conferences, and also to to purchase in the, the newer books that have come out on, on DNA testing because all of this will just help uh, help them learn more and utilize the tools more effectively. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about because I know that you are a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. So why don't you tell us about your journey to become a member of DAR, uh, D-A-R, and also any any advice you could give to others that are considering uh, applying for D-A-R? Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm the second vice regent of the Paul Revere chapter in Boston, Massachusetts, and the D-A-R is a service organization for women, and it's also a lineage society. So in order to join, you have to have a direct connection to either somebody who was a Revolutionary War patriot or somebody that performed patriotic service. It could be male or woman, uh, man or woman. Um, and the DAR, which is really exciting, is expanding. There, it has a growing list of minority patriots, uh, Hispanic, African-American, uh, Jewish. There are also patriots from Canada, other places in Europe like France. Um, it, it's a really expanding list, and it's an, it's an exciting place to get involved. So that's one thing we want to encourage everyone. Those of you who have done this uh, lineage research, consider submitting your application to DAR. Well, let me just say that I have enjoyed talking to you tonight and want to know, do you have any parting words you would like to share with everyone before we close out? Well, Bernice, I would like to thank you for your incredible continued contributions to genealogy. I really appreciate listening to your show and the wonderful advice that you give folks week after week. So my parting words are thanks, Bernice. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much, Mary. And, Mary, where can we uh, hope to see you giving a presentation or writing up something, when can we see you? Well, if it's not in an airport, Bernice, you can definitely catch me on Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) on Twitter at Origins Italy or through my website, www.originsitaly.com. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And I want everyone else to, to remember this. Your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion, and we've talked about several things tonight, on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research 
and Educational Services, LLC. And my website is www.geniebroots.com. Well, I look forward to all of you joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mary. Good night, Bernice.